Hi folks, Andres here. We want to help you learn all about Barcelona. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Barcelona guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge. You can get any question answered by real people here in Barcelona. Where does CFC Barca play? How to use a metro? Where to eat a delicious seafood paella on the beach right now? We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And who knows, you might even get to talk to me. For limited time, the Circa Travel app is completely free. Get it in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Circa. In this architecture episode, we'll be listing a lot of incredible buildings and places in Barcelona, Spain. We're going to be giving you a lot of information, but don't worry. There will be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa app. Whether you're in Barcelona right now or would just like to learn all about the history of a city we truly love, you're in the right place. This is what we do. So just sit back, put your headphones on, and enjoy the sights of one of the most important architectural cities in Europe. Let's go to Barcelona. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. Antoni Gaudí casts a long shadow over the city of Barcelona, in all ways. The massive church, the Sagrada Familia, his most famous and still unfinished work, does this literally. It's become a marker of this town. People here can judge how long they've lived in the city just by looking at how much it's grown. It was supposed to be finished in 2026, but that completion date has now disappeared. And when you see its insanity, you'll understand why. Its central tower will eventually stand at 172 meters tall. That's shy of a single meter of the city's mountain of Montjuic to the south. The architect believed that something man-made could never be bigger than nature. Gaudí's Basilica was and is unlike any building in the world. Some call it impossibly ugly. Picasso once said that both the architect and the Sagrada Familia should go straight to hell. Some believe it's the most beautiful building ever created. It's messy, mismatched, and ridiculous in its grandeur and its questionable contrasting styles. But once you get closer to it, and especially inside it, it's impossible not to be gobsmacked. The huge tinted windows which purposely fill the place with red and orange hues in the morning 
and green and blue ones in the evening are mesmerizing. Giant white columns which seem to lean and split off like the branches of trees fit seamlessly into the gigantic ceiling above, as if the place has been carved from one single piece of marble. You can stand in the center looking up at it for a long, long time. I have, many times. 4.5 million people crick their necks here every year. It is the most visited building in Spain. The singularity and popularity of Gaudí are undeniable. Rarely has one man been so synonymous with a city, but Gaudí and the architecture in Barcelona, there's so much more than just one unfinished church. So grab your walking shoes and let's go find the bricks and mortar which most visitors to this city will never see. Don't worry, we'll do Gaudí too, in a way that most don't, because that's why you're listening. I'm Andres Bartos. And I'm Neil Innes. We make a travel podcast here in Barcelona called Passport. You should really check it out. But right now, we're going to give you some real local advice as we take you on an architectural time-traveling odyssey from the birth of modernism to the 1992 Olympic Games and find out how the city's buildings were designed and reinvented. And with them, the city itself. A Gaudí map of Barcelona. When a young Antoni Gaudí completed his studies in architecture in the late 1870s, the director of the school, Elias Rogent, said, I don't know if we've awarded this degree to a madman or a genius. The young architect, at 26 years old, took his first commission shortly after his teacher's backhanded compliment and designed the red and black candelabra-like lampposts in Plaza Real, just off La Ramblas. This small square is one of the most beautiful in the city, despite being one of the busiest. A big central fountain, a popular meeting point surrounded by terraced bars and hordes of people in the summertime, basking in the sunshine under the palm trees which dot the square. And above you, the world's most famous architect's first paid work. Who knew? Well, you do, now. Even after 20 years, I still love it here. Even at night, when it's best to keep your wits about you, there's pickpockets about. And actually, that goes for anywhere along La Ramblas, by the way. The city is dotted with Gaudi's work, and there are more of them than you might think. And these are constantly missed by travelers. So let's take a little city tour using some of the lesser-known works of a master as markers. And, as always, the places we mention in this episode, along with photos and maps, will be right there for you in the notes. In your pocket. In Gracia... Near the Fontana metro stop, you'll find one of Gaudi's first major works, a summer house built for a stockbroker named Manuel Vincenz. Casa Vincenz was inspired by the Far East art of India, Persia, and Japan. Gaudi worked a lot in this style early on, and this colorful, bold mansion caused a bit of a sensation during its construction. It's easy to see why. This place was built in the mid-1880s when Gracia was still a small town outside the main city. It must have stood out like a sore thumb. 
Huge walls of red brick and angular details, along with green and white checkered ceramic tiles. It's not exactly subtle. It looks like a house pixelated to protect its identity. The three floors and the rooftop are filled with tiny details, including plant motifs, arches, and natural curves, which would later dominate Gaudí's work. The house has undergone many changes and transformations. The original construction from 1883 to 1885 by Gaudí, then the expansion in 1925, designed by Juan Baptista Serra de Martínez, and now the garden surrounding the building. It is considered his first masterpiece and one of the buildings to kick off the Modernisme movement, an offshoot of Art Nouveau. And it's definitely a piece of the origin story of the artist which is worth a look. 16 euros will get you an audio guide tour and 20 euros will get you a real person guided tour. Available in English, by the way. Let's head to the Eschample, Barcelona's sprawling checkerboard of barrios. At number four on Calle Casp, you'll find Casa Calvet. It's often considered Gaudi's most conventional work. Nevertheless, it still manages to really stand out, especially when set between two even more conventional apartment buildings. Gaudi's burgeoning craziness was apparently tempered by his demanding boss on this job, textile manufacturer Pere Martir Clavet. But looking up at its rounded balconies in a Baroque style with curved wrought ironwork, it definitely has an understated beauty. Get here in the evening after 8 p.m. with an appetite and a reservation, because even the most quote-unquote boring of the master's work has a surprise in store. Casa Calvet is now a Chinese restaurant, but not any old steamy noodle house. Resident chef Tim Wang has rescued ancient Chinese recipes inside this beautiful space. Rustic lamb from a Shanghai of long ago. Yunnan, Xi'an, and Tibet have also been used as influences. Inside, you'll find embroidered silks from China, which arrived in the city through Calvet's textile company. A perfect circle. Gaudi would have approved. And dumplings. Plus, there's a very reasonable eight-course, 55-euro tasting menu to be shared, or an enormous a la carte menu. Sticky, crispy-skinned Peking duck, fiery cashew king prawns, and tons of perfectly fried rice. Chinese cuisine inside an underappreciated Gaudi work of art. So cool, and only in Barcelona. The Raval, the city's most down and dirty barrio, densely filled with narrow streets and strange smells, may not be the place you think about when you think about knockout architecture, but it contains one of our favorites, and definitely Gaudi's darkest work, Palau Güell. The 19th century industrialist Eusebi Güell wanted this peculiar urban palace as an extension of his family home on the nearby Las Ramblas. Gaudi would also go on to build Park Güell, his famous colorful city garden for the Güell family, in stark contrast to this Gothic Art Nouveau palace. Palau Güell is yet another side of the artist, who used only noble traditional materials, mostly dark stone, wood, iron, pottery, and glass. It was completed in 1890. 
The huge front doors for horse-drawn carriages meant that party guests could make a real entrance while their horses headed to the basement stables. It was built with both fun and family in mind, to host all of the events from the Guelid's highfalutin social life and as a place to stay. For around 12 euros, Tuesday to Sunday, you can take the guided tour and see the stables, the rooms, the rooftop, with its incredible, contrasting, brightly colored statues. The main hall, a ceiling complete with moon and stars, the huge central hallway, and an imposing, almost cartoonish pipe organ. All of this makes you feel like you're in a Tim Burton film designed by a master. Gothic and beautiful. Gwei's patron-slash-artist collaboration with Gaudí would prove to be one for the ages. Gwei's own extravagance must have opened Gaudí's mind. While all of the other rich families were moving to a new, gridded extension of the city with wide, comfortable streets and modern homes, the pair instead spent five years building this spooky old noirish mansion in what was then the most crowded neighborhood in Europe. About 20 minutes walk away on Passage de Gracia, you've got two of Gaudi's most famous creations, Casa Mia and Casa Bayo. These are undoubtedly two of the most popular buildings to visit. They are more art pieces than buildings, and the huge queues of people outside are testament to them. The facade of Casa Mila is a varied mass of undulating stone. With its iron balconies and wave-like curves, it seems to move as you walk past it, like the natural world that inspired it. One of its most iconic spaces is the spectacular roof terrace. There you'll find the iconic, huge, stone, head-like sculptures, which may or may not have been the inspiration for the shape of the stormtroopers' helmets in Star Wars. This one is worth booking in advance. It's open all day from 8 a.m. till 11 p.m., and tickets are about 24 euros. This is the way to do it. Book online and you can skip the queue and get an audio guide. For the colorful, magical, kaleidoscopic UNESCO World Heritage Casa Bayo, you'll have to pay a little bit more, but it's worth it. Just to see one of the most spectacular renovation jobs in architectural history. 35 euros for an hour visit or 45 for a VIP experience. Oh, and an insider tip. If you're here visiting friends, Barcelona residents get a two-for-one ticket. Ask them to buy it for you and come along. A local loophole just for you. We'll put a link to the booking pages for both in the notes. Gaudí said to his friend and patron Eusebi Weil one day, sometimes I think we're the only two people who like this architecture. Wei replied, I don't like your architecture, I just respect it. The madman had definitely found his mad partner. They set off building the huge private Parkwell, spread over 18 hectares of hilly land above Gracia. It was supposed to be a miniature city for Barcelona's affluent class with about 50 properties. But within a few years of development, the project was abandoned. Ultimately, only two show houses were built, neither designed by Gaudí. One was intended to be a display home, but it was put up for sale and Gali bought it himself and moved in in 1906. Parguey is Gaudí looking at nature and honing the skills which would become emblematic of his style. His most famous quote, there are no straight lines or sharp corners in nature. The straight line belongs to man. The curve belongs to God. 
There are zero straight lines in Park Güell, and it's a fantastic spot to take in the city views. Despite the failure of the project in his lifetime, ever since its opening to the public in 1926, the year of Gaudi's death, the estate has been a major success. In fact, nine million people walk this park at the cost of 10 euros per head every year. That's the thing with this now revered master. In life, Gaudi was always in continuous controversy. People scoffed at his work. He was shouted down for his extravagant flair and wild ambition. He never backed down and rarely bent to the whims of his clients until he found the ultimate client, God. The Sagrada Familia stands as a monument to Gaudi's obsession with faith. The tiny details of it, the grandeur of it, the different angles and opinions of it. He lived there, in the basement, sleeping on a crooked bed, propped up with hundreds of books. He turned commission after commission away and dedicated the last 20 years of his life to his biggest work. It consumed him. A textbook workaholic, Gaudi's life outside of the building of the Sagrada Familia became non-existent. He isolated himself from friends and family, and when his father died in 1906, just months after they moved to Paraguay together, he spiraled into a much darker place, retreating into religion and religious text and illness due to fasting. Reportedly, he ate only lettuce dipped in milk for lunch. He rarely bathed or shaved. On June 7th, 1926, Antonio Gaudí was hit by a tram as he walked to church along the Gran Vía. Because of his appearance, his smell, and his lack of identification, people just assumed he was a beggar. A doctor who lived nearby was called, and the architect was taken to Hospital de la Santa Creu, where, shamefully, he was given the medical attention reserved for a beggar. Almost none. It wasn't until the next day that the chaplain at the Sagrada Familia realized that this man was the famed architect. Gaudí died three days later, on June 10th, 1926, and was buried in the crypt in his unfinished church. He was 73 years old. Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ildefonso Cerda, the man who changed the face of Barcelona. Let's go back a little bit. It's the 1850s, and Barcelona is not in good shape. The Industrial Revolution had filled the port city with money seekers and businesses grown by a booming textile industry. 
It was one of the most densely populated walled cities in the world. It was quickly growing, yet confined within the city's old ramparts, disease and crime filled this place. The city was suffocating itself, and a new outbreak of cholera meant the walls had to come down. There was no choice. Meanwhile, the Spanish government searched for a solution to the population problem. Barcelona was too lucrative for Spain to let it fail. The man with the plan was Ildefon Cerdà, and his solution was simply called the Eixample, literally the extension. Gaudí loved natural curves, but Cerdà? Cerdà loved straight lines. The area was to be a gridded three square miles of sprawling wide streets and blocks, four times bigger than the old city. It was revolutionary in Europe, but had been used in China since the 15th century, and in the United States, in cities like Philadelphia and Chicago, later on in the 18th. He began a study, a research paper, perhaps the first of its kind to find out what a modern city could be with regards to health and well-being. Something completely unheard of at the time. He studied biology, more specifically breathing, and calculated how much air in cubic meters one person breathes in one day. Also, the blocks would be oriented northwest to southeast to ensure the buildings received as much sunshine as possible. He surveyed professionals and families to map locations for marketplaces and amenities. He looked at road accident numbers too and concluded that wide streets meant less death. He was obsessed with his project and he detailed it in a book which coined the term urbanization. Each block or manzana would have cut corners chamfered corners, making them kind of octagonal so each intersection would have more room for traffic, trams, sunlight, and airflow. Each block would be partly open on one or two sides with public space inside for parks and green space. Strangely, his city plan to house an ever-growing population was met with skepticism. At first, in fact, the job had been awarded to someone else, the city's chief architect, Antony Rovira. After some disputes between Madrid and Barcelona, Serra's plan was more imposed than okayed. In 1859, the construction of the Eixample began, and nearly 40 years later, in 1897, it was complete. Serra never saw it finished. He died in 1876. You can see his tomb in Montjuic Cemetery. His grave is adorned with a white marble slab in the iconic shape of the gridded city he designed. Today, 262,000 people live in the Eixample, and I'm among them. Through the years of construction and the years after, most of Cerda's forward-thinking ideas on space were lost. The blocks were almost all completely filled in. 90% of the interior parks and courtyards are now supermarkets and stores. But what Cerda's plan has given the city is a tremendous amount of space. So let's go discover it. Discovering the Eixample. As the biggest area of the city, there is much to see in the Eixample, though locals refer to the whole area as being split in two. Eixample left and Eixample right. Technically, though, it's split into six districts. Let's have a look. Number one, Sagrada Familia, named after one of the most famous monuments in the world, which sits at its center. 
Here, you can also walk Avinguda Gaudi, packed with cafes and boutiques, to another architectural wonder, Hospital San Paolo. This place was designed by another modernism star player, Luis Dominic y Montaner. These 26 separate buildings were a working hospital until 2009. They now stand as a museum and a cultural center. Visit this place. It's amazing and seriously underrated. A gem off the main trail, where you can see some incredibly horrific surgical instruments from times gone by. Number two, Dreta de la Champla contains the immense Plaza Catalunya and the stylish shopping street Passage de Gracia, on which stands Gaudi's Casa Mia y Casa Bayo. You can also stroll Rambla Catalunya and look up at endless and unique apartment blocks randomly squished together, a flickbook about architecture completely out of time. Head to Fort Pienc, the third district of the Eixample, and you can see the Arc de Triomphe, Giuseppe Vilaseca's red brick arch, built in 1888, which stands as the gateway to the Ciutadella Park. Or head to Encants in the northwest of the district. Encants is a giant flea market with some real tough, haggling characters and antique furniture under a huge mirrored sail. But perhaps the most fascinating building in Fort Pienc is Monumental, the last bullfighting arena in operation in Catalonia. People will tell you that bullfighting is illegal here. It's not. The 2010 ban was overturned in 2016 by the Spanish court, but the defiant Catalans have still never held a bullfight since. Head here on the weekends for food festivals, concerts, and more in a totally unique setting. Their website, Monumental Club, has all the listings for what to see there. We'll put a link for you in the notes. Number four, San Antonio. My barrio in the Eixample is home to the beautiful San Antonio market. It was designed by the guy Cerda snatched the Eixample job from, Antoni Rovira, in 1882. It's a beautiful market to walk and shop at, and it's a great alternative to the crowded touristic Bocaria on Las Ramblas. Here, you can really shop with the locals for some of the best produce in the city. Excellent free-range lamb from Anglada, beautiful artichokes and freshly sliced Iberico ham at Chacuteria Neos. There are also a few tapas bars to try right inside. Head to Masclans for a cold one and some croquetas. And? Every Sunday around the striking cross red and white iron market, you can see one of the neighborhood's best book and record markets as well. This is a long established ritual among the locals and travelers who come to San Antonio in search of a literary relic to buy some old vinyl, to swap stamps, football cards, or just to browse and chat. Plus, there's plenty of places around for vermouth once you've taken in the market square. Check out the Barcelona Eat Here episode in this guide for more. Number five, the Antigua Eixample. The dominating building here is the 19th century Barcelona University, designed by Gaudi's worried teacher, Elias Rogent. Nearby cafes and brew pubs on the wonderful Enrique Granados are a must if you're building spotting and taking photos here. Off the beaten path, higher up, on Calle Mallorca, is the restored 1930s market Mercat del Ninot, which also has lively local populated dining counters for seafood tapas and vermouth. Head to the Medusa 73, a fourth-generation family-run joint with bar seating and the freshest seafood cooked for you right there. Lastly, number six, La Nova Esquera de la Champla. 
It's home to the La Juamiro Park, whose woman and bird sculpture sits among playgrounds, palm trees, and covered areas to help you escape the hot summer sun. Just around the corner on Plaza España is Arenas, an ornate one-time bullring turned into a shopping mall. Head to the roof for an amazing view of Montjuic, but don't pay for the lift outside. You can get there for free if you go through the mall. A nice afternoon walk down Gran Vía holds many architectural knockouts. There are some beautiful apartment buildings along this long avenue. All you gotta do is look up. Diamond tiles, ceramic details, curved balconies. Also, check out the stunning modernist Gothic mansion Casa Golferich, which hosts chamber music and photo exhibits. This place was built by Juan Rubio, a keen follower of Gaudí. Today, the Eschampla is undergoing yet another facelift. In 2016, six city blocks were turned into so-called trial superblocks, where traffic is restricted and where pedestrians rule the roads. Head to San Antonio and the corner of Parliament and Comte Borrell to see one of these superblocks. Sit at the wonderful Barna Brew, where our good friends Alex and Anna will serve you some of the freshest beer in the city and take in the square from the terrace, filled with families, chess players, and buskers. The Superblock plan hopes to get back a little of what was lost over time in Ildefon Cerda's design. It will introduce 21 new green streets with added greenery and 21 new non-traffic squares at junctions between the streets. That's 3.9 hectares for people to walk, play and spend time in. The total space the new plan will create is said to be equal to the size of the city's Ciutadella Park. The truth is that Barcelona has always been changing. The streets here in San Antonio are filled with tiny boutique stores and ancient cafes side by side. 100-year-old restaurants next to sleek co-working spaces. 20% of the people here are born elsewhere. This international influence and modern and unique contrast is something that feels very Barcelona. Everything is always changing, so everything stays the same. But in modern history, there was one event that truly changed the way the city looked and the way the world looked at the city. The Olympic Games. Let's take a stroll down Passage Maritim, the promenade which runs three miles along the city's coastline. It's an endless parade of joggers, cyclists, and ramblers, kids with ice creams, sunburned tourists. To the south, the huge reflective W Hotel, designed by Ricardo Bofil, juts out of the horizon like a boat's sail. Port Vale Superyacht Marina is tucked in behind the old world seaside neighborhood of Barceloneta. In front, Frank Gehry's glittering golden fish sculpture greets you at the entrance of the Arts Hotel. In 1992, all of these things, these emblems of the city's coast, well, they didn't exist. In 1986, Barcelona was awarded the 25th Games of the Olympiad. They had six years to get ready, and it was one hell of a job. It's worth remembering that this is only 11 years after the death of Spanish dictator Francisco Franco and only two years after the first democratic vote in the region. Barcelona was an underdog, an unknown. It was not a player on the world stage of cities one must visit. It had taken a beating. 
It was time to show Barcelona to the world. Barcelona needed to be quickly beautified and modernized. Beaches needed to be cleaned and even more beaches created. New parks and pedestrian-friendly spaces had to be built. Public transport to all areas of the city had to be hugely improved. The city needed an Olympic village and renovations of existing buildings, stadiums, and sports facilities. The task was massive. Behind the Arts Hotel and the Mapfre building, the two highest structures in the city, you can visit Villa Olimpica, the Olympic village. These residences, more than 2,000 apartments across three blocks, or manzanas, were built at a cost of around a billion euros. They helped to completely regenerate the neighborhood of Poblano, an industrial area once dubbed the Manchester of the Med. A few old chimneys remain sprouting up from the skyline as a past reminder of the barrio's working classes. For the best view of the village and a relaxing few hours, you can head to the rooftop spa of the Arts Hotel. It's a little pricey at around 200 euros for the top package, which includes an hour-long massage and a 45-minute water treatment, cocktails, and snacks. But you can hang out there as long as you want and take in one of the best views on the coast. From up here, you can barely imagine what the coast was like pre-1992. Smokestacks and warehouses, derelict land and half-demolished factories stretched almost the whole way from here to the port one and a half miles away. There were hardly any sandy beaches to waste the day away on. The place, to be honest, was a mess. The cost of the transformation of the city topped out at nearly 10 billion euros. 400% over budget. The city would pay for the cost of the games until 2010. But the showcase that everyone dreamed the Olympics would be succeeded. In fact, more than succeeded. Barcelona became a tourist destination and a sporting powerhouse. World-class athletes in football, basketball, cycling and tennis are all a direct outcome of the city hosting the games. In a city as small and crowded as it was, there was really only one choice for the nexus of the games. Up on Montjuic to the south of the city. This huge hilly mountain is home to the Olympic Ring, a sprawling collection of sports arenas both built and renovated for the games. You can spend a day up here wandering the park, filled with gardens, fountains, museums, and cable cars. Head to the center of the park and you'll find Luis Compagne's Olympic Stadium. This place held the opening and closing ceremonies and every track and field event. The stadium was actually built in 1929, when at the time it was the second biggest in the world. The outside facade was preserved when it was remodeled to hold the 60,000 spectators which filled this place for 17 days straight. Japanese architect Arada Izazaki built the Palace in Jordi Pavilion close by, which played host to the gymnastics, volleyball and table tennis. This is now one of the biggest concert venues in the city. When the Stones, U2, or the Boss come to Barcelona, this is where they play. A short walk away from here are the Bernat Picornet pools. If you want to take a literal dip in Olympic history, it'll cost you about 10 euros and about half that for your kids. Outside, looking like a crashed spaceship, is the striking Montjuic communications tower. It was designed by Santiago Calatrava, who paid homage to Gaudí by copying his broken tile mosaic for the base which the tower stands on. 
Oh, it's also a giant sundial. If you're enticed to explore this part of the city a little more, take a short stroll to the Juan Antonio Samaranc Olympic and Sports Museum. It's open Tuesday to Saturday, and for only six euros, you can see more than 5,000 pieces of memorabilia from the Olympic Games, including Salvador Dali-inspired swimsuits, skis, sneakers, and trophies from throughout the ages. This is a sports fan and track and field nerd's heaven. 23 million people watched the Games that year. The initial outlay to redesign the city for the Games between 86 and 92 was over 9.3 billion euros. Employment, culture, transport, industry and training. It was a massive investment. But in the end, La Caixa Bank here in the city concluded that the revenue for the city had exceeded 18 billion euros. The unified Soviet team won the games. The USA placed second. Spain, incredibly, won sixth place. But as far as Barcelona was concerned, it won the gold. It's still considered the most successful Olympic Games of all time. The diversity of architecture in this town is world-renowned, photogenic, and downright insane. From the majestic Parc Güell and the striking Olympic ring to the bonkers jaw-dropping Sagrada Familia. The old lives next to the new. From the air, the twisted streets of the old town jumble up against Cerda's perfectly measured and obsessive grid of the Eixample. When walking the streets here in the city, it's important to remember to look up. You never know what's going on up there. A brutalist 1960s-designed red brick pressed up against a modernist masterpiece is not uncommon. The story of architecture here is a story of struggle, change, and planning, but also disruption. If we go back to Casa Batlló, Casa Milla, to Gaudí, to where we began, this single block where these houses sit, it's known as La Ia de la Discordia. Literally, the block of discord. Also on the block is Casa Leo Morera, designed by Dominic y Montaner. Then Casa Amalie, designed by Puig y Calafalque. The difference in designs between these three masters' works is astounding. But the differences you can find on every single block in the city tell you something too. That Barcelona is never done changing. That this whole city is a beautiful architectural discord. Thanks for listening to our episode on the architecture of Barcelona. Remember to check out the other episodes in this guide for deeper dives into Barcelona, including its football team, its food, and navigating the city with kids. Whether you're heading to Barcelona right now, sometime in the near future, or would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide, plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Maybe you'll want to check out our guides for London, Iceland, Rome, and many, many more. And many more to come. For access to everything that comes along with a Circa subscription, be sure to download the Circa app. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.